Jesus. Someone's gonna break him! Oh god, what did I just pour into my gullet? I have her! I like them on my face. That tongue was huge! I want the guy to be hungry. Welcome to the second episode of the long-awaited Amazing Race Australia 2 recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Holmstone, and joining me as always is a Canadian who knows all about starting at the top and working his fingers down, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And the lady who is our social disguise, Michelle Pierce Denovan. Ah, hello. There are so many worse quotes I could have used. I was being quite <laughs> nice this week. <laughs> oh god, this episode. <laughs> am, I, am I allowed to have a drink before we start? No. <laughs> no, why, 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 why the hell not? Why can't I have a drink? You, you can't tell me whether or not I can have a drink, Michael. If you want a bottle of Coke, I will give you a bottle of water instead. You don't get Coke. We're on a very limited budget here. Jesus Christ, it's pretty much the same price. <laughs> if by some miracle Sarah ends up hearing this episode, and let's be honest, probably next week as well, I love you, Sarah. I really do. But dear God, you were in the wrong here. Um, yeah, I mean, totally, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, what a mess. Seriously, I'd forgotten how chaotic energy James and Sarah are. Well, and as if travelling around Delhi this episode isn't chaotic enough, with 11 teams. Come to think of it, I can't recall another time where there's where they've had an 11-team leg in India. No, I'm trying to think. Because how many did Norway have? Was Norway 10? Did they start in Dubai? I think they did. And I know Sven Derek will be shouting at the, uh, at the podcast provider of his choice right now. But I think Norway had 11 teams going to... Oh, had its full cast going to Dubai, and then it was India. Right. But they started with 10 teams, actually, I think. So, yeah, this may be the record for India legs. I was saying, because with the American version, they've never started out in India at the beginning of a season. God, no. No, that'd be too much chaos, I think. For nine seasons, they were resistant about going westward. Yep. So, previously, ten iconic teams and Adam and Dane set off from Sydney on a race around the world, where they were told their first destination was Manila. James and Sarah had a revealing first leg, while Buffheads, Paul and Steve proved competitive, but it was Ross and Taryn who won the leg and a salvage pass. Lucy and Amelia checked in last, but were saved, leaving all 11 teams still in the race. And this is the point you made on your blog, Logan, but the first episode, or the copy of the first episode that we have been using and that the internet uses, isn't the best of qualities in terms of... Um, it's not the 720p that we're used to. Yep. This one, however, very much is. Yeah. So we get the confetti cannon in full HD. <laughs> the gift makers will be happy. I remember the first time I saw those titles, and I'm just like, this is the most extra title sequence ever. <laughs> Mason Race in general just needs more confetti cannons. What they really needed was during the Iceland leg that just aired in season 34 uh, here, with, with there should have been a confetti cannon 
that would go off whenever Phil introduced the very famous actor in Iceland. I saw that edit that you commented on Reddit, and it it appealed to my juvenile sense of humor. <laughs> Someone edited down the the pit stop intros of Phil just constantly hyping up the actor who was the greeter in the Iceland leg. Here is Oliver Olofsson. Here is Oliver Olofsson. Harbring David, I'm sorry to tell you that you've been eliminated, but here's a famous Icelandic actor. It's a bittersweet moment, isn't it? I've been watching you since I was in the second grade. That's right up my sense of humor. Though. It's like, who's better, Oliver Olofsson or the shopping bag lady as an NPC for Amazing Race? We have multiple... We have multiple notable uh, Icelandic NPCs in the Amazing Race universe now. And you can definitely tell that this episode did not air in more recent Amazing Race times because we get all of the departure times. Yes. All 11 of them, which I think this is the start of when I would keep track of how much time Lucy and Amelia would always start a leg behind all of the other teams. Because I did a cumulative total as uh, throughout the next uh, several episodes. Wait, 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 wait. Lucy and Amelia were behind? <laughs> this is brand new information. Also, Lucy and Amelia, I hope you're going to hear these podcasts. We will be championing you a lot. But you weren't the quickest in these first few legs. I love Lucy and Amelia so much. This episode especially is a tour de force for them. Oh my god. Laughing out loud. Just at things they say. Oh my god. And this isn't even the best episode of the season for them. <laughs> I can't wait till we get to that one. It may not even be in their top three for this season. Now, there's at least two more that I can think of that are better for Lucy and Amelia than this episode, but this episode is still a tour de force for them. Yeah, I was about to say the volcano that Grant Bowler references at the start of this leg, I think, had a notorious eruption just a couple of years ago. Really? Yeah, it's very interesting coming off the back of the um, the Vista Mole season that is going to follow this one in historians that we're not going to say which one it is because they loved a volcano as well it's interesting to see that basically the theme of this year for us seems to be look at some volcanoes yeah we really like covering the ring of fire that's that isn't that the video in your collection <laughs> uh, jesus oh, kind of preempts the next joke i'm going to do but so Grant introduces to Miss Bis Bay and says that the Philippines is made up of over 7,000 islands along the Pacific Ring of Fire, which coincidentally is one of the videos in Logan's collection. And teams must now fly to Delhi in India, and once there they must find a 2,000-year-old well and search amongst it for a group of quote-unquote Indian mystics, a phrase that probably wouldn't air on television now, but one wearing a turban with the word correct on it. If they pick an incorrect turban, they must retie it before selecting another, and they have a massive... 50 didgeridolaroos for this leg of the race. I hear that Grace got a 10 minute penalty just for saying Del High. Oh. <laughs> Can we discuss that, please? Because I have a feeling, knowing what's coming for the rest of the season, I have a feeling the editors knew how stupid Grace was and were just making her look stupid. Because she does mispronounce Delhi, and spoilers for next episode. She also mispronounces Jaipur. Yeah, how does she pronounce it in the next episode? She pronounces it like a uh, Chris Lilly character. It's like Jaipur. Jaipur. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at least it's on Del High. I think we heard that a couple times in Mason Race 13, where teams were saying Del High, India. Yeah, Del High is a pretty rubbish mispronunciation. <laughs> 
even by Grace's standards, and she's not going to be made to look the most intelligent. She gets an episode title basically saying, I don't like to use my brain. Correct. Do you think we would have a turban search task today where you have to where you're unwrapping and rewrapping people's turbans? No, and I don't even think they would introduce a task with the the quote Indian mystics. Because mm. it it does sound a little bit um unfortunate phrasing wise. It almost sounds like a bit like what's that terminology? Orientalism? You know, that really othering people. That's a pretty strong case for it to fall under the under that category. Without basically turning this podcast into two episodes back to back of us going, eh, you won't want to do that now. Uh, you won't want to do that now. So it is Ross and Taryn who leave in first at 12.58am, with Kim and Donna at 101, James and Sarah at 108, Sue and Teresa at 111, Sticky and Sam at 115, Joseph and Grace at 125, Michelle and Joe at 131, Shane and Andrew at 157, Adam and Dane at 230, Paul and Steve at 234, and Lucy and Amelia at 339, a whole 65 minutes behind Paul and Steve. Do you think when production, when they knew what cast they had for this season, that they thought, okay, let's make it so the first leg will almost certainly be in non-elimination, just to guarantee that Sue and Teresa get to India. <laughs> yeah, and, and also probably assuming that Lucy and Amelia weren't going to stick around for too many legs, and knowing how good a characters they were, and knowing that they wanted them on season one, just trying to keep them here as long as is physically possible. I just can't believe that, like, I sort of, I know the boot order, but I was still like, how are they still there? I don't understand. <laughs> they just still make it. <laughs> They're more shocked than the audience each episode. <laughs> and every single time that they check into Grant, Grant is perfectly poker-faced with them. And he's just like, you team number 10. And they're just like, what? How, how is that even possible? Are you aware of how many teams are in this cast, Grant? <laughs> <laughs> Did you do your maths wrong, Grant? Because there's no way that we beat literally anyone, right? <laughs> we don't get a clear explanation as to how everyone gets to Manila. We have each team get into their own jeepney, but I'm thinking, they're not going to ride in a jeepney for for 10 hours all the way to freaking Manila Airport. So I assume they're all just taken to the domestic terminal nearby and just flew everyone on the same plane to Manila. They do say in the episode that they have to travel by jeepney to Manila International Airport. Oh, so they really did oh. just stick them in there for 10 hours? But then, but they were all at the airport at the same time trying to book flights for the flight scramble. If you believe a word that they say on these episodes, then they had to travel by jeepney 342 kilometers to Manila <laughs> International Airport. Do you know how uncomfortable the ride that would be if they actually did that? I am aware. You wouldn't be. You can't even. You, can, you wouldn't be able to sleep or recline or anything. <laughs> there wouldn't be seatbelts for three hundred and forty-two kilometers. <laughs> I think it's Ross and Taryn who we hear Taryn say, "You must travel by March jeepney to Manila International Airport." No, there's no way. There's no way in hell that would happen. <laughs> I just love the idea that they try and knacker these people out because, bear in mind, leg number one took two days to film. They were on the road for two days until they got to Mississippi Bay. And Lucy and Amelia were an hour and five behind Paul and Steve. They must have been shattered. Yeah. I just love the idea that immediately after probably an eight-hour pit stop, 
they throw them into a jeepney for over 300 kilometers and go, <laughs> have fun. Now you're going to another really congested city and you're going to have no rest for like two days and probably sleep out <laughs> on the street because of an hour's operation. And no jeepney driver that that's far, that far away from Manila is going to agree to drive all the way into the most populated city in the world. If you're living in that part of the Philippines, like they, like where the pit start for this leg was, those people will never ever want to be anywhere near Manila. They're trying to get as far away as humanly possible from civilization within the Philippines. And now you want them to drive into a city of 30 million people. I don't think they're going to agree to that. How did I know that this would absolutely set Logan off? (laughs) I only included this as a, as a sort of, hilarious aside to to just try and annoy logan but how did i know it'd make you uh, make you really quite angry <laughs> but yeah clearly they threw them all on the same freaking plane into manila airport and they all had it had an equal flight scramble from there <laughs> yeah obviously but most of the audience would have no idea they're like well i guess it could be close to manila the one argument against that is the fact that nobody saw paul and steve or lucy and amelia until they got on the plane to delhi I'm going to guess that they probably, maybe they had multiple chartered flights, but you weren't allowed to start booking flights until everyone was was at Manila Airport. Maybe, because the first nine teams all boarded that plane not knowing, well, the first ten teams all boarded that plane not knowing whether Lucy and Amelia were still in or not, apart from Austin Tarrant. But it's it's a big airport, though, so I could, it's pretty easy not to not be able to see them there. And then, uh, there's one other airport note, I guess... I guess it was more with uh, James and Sarah arguing over whether or not Sarah is allowed to buy a drink. Oh my god. In all fairness to Sarah, in all fairness to her, (laughs) Manila Airport is ranked as the worst major airport on the planet. Most of the terminals are not very comfortable there. So I could see her being genuinely dehydrated and exhausted and really needing a drink there and just uh, the fact that james buys sarah a drink and then she just out of defiance she throws the water bottle onto the ground and says something along lines of i am not overreacting about this you haven't seen me overreact yet my absolute favorite thing about this is she goes on for about 10 minutes going i want a coke i want a coke why won't you let me buy a coke and then he buys her a drink and it isn't a coke yeah. Just to make her angry, I think. Yeah. <laughs> How long's the flight? It depends, because with Manila to Delhi, when I, so that's because we flew there back in January of 2020, me and Jan flew there for her work, Wells Fargo work conference, and there weren't direct flights between the two cities. We had to connect through either Bangkok or Hong Kong. All of us were divided into two groups to connect between one of those two cities, so... It took us, with the layover there, I think it was at least, I'd say about eight hours of our day. It was it was quite a while. It was longer than eight hours of our day, I think. And she continued the argument when she got in the cab in India. <laughs> yeah, so was fun. Was, no she, was she going the whole trip? It was over nine hours. Like, was she going still on the plane or did she just continue in the cab again? Like... <laughs> So they filmed this season a similar time of year that when that we're recording these recaps. Oh, Jesus. So with the time difference and stuff, there's two and a half hours between um, Manila and Delhi. Correct me if I'm wrong, Saunders. This is what right, yeah. 
they left at 6.25, I think it was, in the evening, and they landed via Bangkok at 12.50am. So it was about nine hours of flying, including the time difference. And yes, as you said, <laughs> they are still arguing about it nine <laughs> hours later in the cab to the ancient well. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I had that note in the episode because I'm thinking that flowing that same route. So the fact that she's bringing it up in the cab, it's like, yeah, I was thinking, was she talking about the whole flight between Manila to Bangkok and then Bangkok all the way to Delhi? And then while they're in the line to clear through immigration and then while they're waiting to hail a cab and then the cab, let it go. Poor James. He'd be like, Jesus Christ, I should have bought her a Coke. (laughs) Lesson learned. (laughs) So the last things from the airport, we get some wonderful confessionals, especially from Joseph and Grace, because Grace says that because she's the younger sister, Joseph can be quite intolerant of her. And from the stories that we heard at the time of airing of this season, it's not surprising that Grace is maybe a little bit intolerant too. Michelle would like Joe to take charge and step up. And Kim and Donna describe themselves as two rare individuals who crashed into each other in life, which is an understatement. They are certainly rare individuals. <laughs> so once they get to the well, they find out that it's an hour's operation, and they have to wait until nine o'clock in the morning, which I'm sure was a wonderful night's sleep for them, given they probably all got to the well at maybe one thirty-two o'clock. Yeah. Uh, probably later than that. By that point, it's probably not worth hiring a hotel for six, seven hours. Well, especially in this season where by the end of the second episode, we've already seen, what, three instances of teams running out of money where that was a major storyline. So we don't even know what went unaired with teams' financial struggles. So no way that any of them were comfortable with, with booking a hotel room there. There are at least five episodes this season where there is a major storyline about people not having enough money. It's scary if you, you know, if you want to be, you know, up there with the top and then you don't have any money for a cab and then you can't sell your things. Like, what the hell? So Sticky and Sam spot a sheepish bloke at the bottom of the well and he has a correct turban and as a result they leave after about two minutes. They probably waited maybe seven hours to get in there and then we're out of there in two minutes. <laughs> and Ross and Taryn are very close behind in second. One thing you didn't mention in your blog, which did make me laugh, is every time people read the detour clue here, everyone laughs at Pooh. Without fail. Anyone who says, oh, detour, pull or poo, laughs at the word poo. (laughs) The only exception I can think of is Amelia, when they leave, wincing at the word poo instead, because she's just like, oh no, I'm going to be dealing with shit, aren't I? She's been dealing with shit every leg, though. So in pull, teams must travel to a dairy farm and collect half a litre of milk each from a cow to receive their next clue. And in poo, teams must make 50 dung bricks and stick them to a wall to get their next clue. And I know you mentioned in your blog that this was a task in unfinished business, but the reference I want to make is the fact that this was actually the very first handicap challenge in Norway. Oh. Where the team who had the handicap had to make an extra 25 bricks and also had to stack an extra 100 dried bricks above the original 200 requirement for this active route info that all the teams had to do. Jesus. it's a lot of bricks. It's a lot Pretty of poo. Big. 
especially when you consider that also in that season from a handicap was climb a greasy pole and grab a koala toy from the top of it when they're in Australia. Oh, uh, what's his face? Brady from Sorrera Vanuatu. He would have been great at that. So Lisa and Amelia's tactic is to pick guys based on whether they're smiling or attractive, which doesn't go very well for them. <laughs> yeah, they went based purely off of horniness as to which turbans they are going to unwrap. I mean, it's the tactic. Might not be a good one, but it's a tactic, nevertheless. Yeah. <laughs> Shane and Andrew are third to leave and show Adam and Dame what they're looking for. And one guy tries to run from Sue and Teresa, and he's got the right turban, allowing them to leave in fourth. At least they pulled out the aura spray, not the pepper spray, to slow them down. <laughs> that aura spray and the sitar music that the editors put under it every time they use it. <laughs> It's so ludicrous, because it's basically the equivalent of having someone fat running and playing Nelly the Elephant under him. It's just obviously a piss take. You know what's worrying? That they said, oh, we have to fill up the aura spray. What are they filling it with? Like, if you buy stuff like this, it's already, like, specially formulated, and I'm thinking, okay, what are they filling it with then? And how much have they used? Like, they've used an entire container in one episode. It's not like it's a tiny container either. (laughs) I'll give you a clue, Michelle. They were heading to a dairy farm, and there were some sources of liquid there. Oh, God. It's up to you whether you want to interpret that as unpasteurized milk or piss. I will let Mm. you choose. Probably a bit of a column A and a bit of column B. It's the magic formula. I hear no two balls of orange spray are ever the same has a distinct aroma. It's fresh from the cow. Ross says there are no traffic laws, and Sam gets to meet some of the locals when they're stuck in traffic. This is also a scene that wouldn't add out. (laughs) Exactly. Oh my god. It's the only only time anybody hits on Sam all season. I'm very surprised they aired this in 2012, I'll be honest. I'm very surprised you didn't just rush through it in 2020 when you did your blog about it. You can't skip over that scene, especially because it's Sam who gets picked on out of the two. It's Sam who gets to be, who, especially when there's a camera on Sam while this is taking place. And the fact that uh, producers follow it up in the confessionals to ask Sam how he felt about it. And he's like, ah, it wasn't terrible. <laughs> He said, millions of people are going to watch this. People are going to podcast about this. Some random Canadian's going to blog about this. Whatever I say about this is going to be really, really dissected. And I'm sure Sam really appreciated this making it to television when he ran for city council in 2022. You just see it in political ads. Well, yeah, it's the sort of thing that's... Uh that you would love in an attack ad if you were his opponent, wouldn't it? Yeah, can you imagine just being at the political headquarters and they're thinking, oh man, we really gotta get some dirt on Sam that'll make the voters not go against him. And they're just digging through the digging through the archives. Oh, we found this scene. The intolerant part of the Aussie population will surely not vote for him now. Sam Hay. <laughs> Sam, hey, what are you doing? I will also confirm Sam did not get elected. I've just Googled it. Oh, that's terrible. That's crap. That's cow crap. He, in fact, got less than 1% of the vote. 
Oh, did Sticky get 90% of the votes? Did Sticky also run for city council just to see if he could destroy Sam? He did not. And in fact, uh, Sticky endorsed him, which is the only reason that I remember that uh, Sam actually ran for council in 2022. Why did he get elected? Is it because it's been too long since uh, season two of Amazing Race Australia? I mean, Rupert at least got fourth, I think, when he ran for governor. Fourth out of what? Four. <laughs> oh, God. But you got a higher percentage of the votes. Right. Um, can we go? Can I just say something about Paul and Steve? Like, we saw Steve talk once, one sentence, seriously. When they're doing their confessionals, and Paul said, you know, he is the intellectual powerhouse, and Steve just nods. He agrees with everything Paul says. I'm finding it really hard to deal with. And, and you know, Paul says things now that, Probably wouldn't be aired like I don't want to be beaten by two blonde bimbos, and and all the stuff he says, I'm like, oh my god, if he was, I don't know, he was he wasn't loved at all, he wasn't even liked, but in in this day and age, he would be totally vilified. Yeah, he would get hate mail now, one hundred percent. He yeah. was very lucky that they said in 2012. However. From Steve's point of view, what is the easiest thing when you're travelling the world with someone like Paul? You know he's rubbing people up the wrong way. You know every single U-turn that you're not first to, you're going to be the victim of. It's probably just keep quiet and nod and try and ignore him as much as you can. I just, I, I couldn't believe it. It's amazing confessionals when you do the confessional counts throughout the season, just how little airtime Steve gets in the confessionals. It's almost always Paul doing all of the talking. It is also worth pointing out on the he would be vilified now point that Paul disappeared after this season. Nobody's heard from him in 11 years at this point. Yeah, he's not on any social media. I think Lucy and Amelia are the only ones who uh, ha- even have any form of co- any sort of contact information for him. Yeah, I don't even know if Steve's still in contact with him, to be honest. Yeah, I think... Did I ask Shane and Andrew that? Because Steve definitely... Steve is in, still in is still on good terms with the whole cast. Yeah, Steve's still Facebook friends with a lot of them, if nothing else. Yeah, and then Paul, they, I think every team except for Lucy and Emilia, they only saw him at the the day after they had the fit where they had like the finale party on location there after everyone's crossed the finish line. He was there for that, and then yeah, just completely vanished and didn't talk to anybody except for Lucy and Emilia, as far as I know. Really interesting. So then we get Shane and Andrew changing rickshaws and it turning into a little bit of a situation, which is a, a running theme this episode. Even with the. Uh, that was when they thought, oh, India, they, 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 they like cricket there. We're going to keep. We're going to talk about cricket with all of the East Indian taxi drivers. That's right. They like cricket. We'll ask them about this player and this player. First cab they get into. Oh, so what do you think about cricket? And then all they hear are crickets. <laughs> Do you think he understood us, mate? I don't know. No. (laughs) Can I also just say, Logan's Australian accent, pitch perfect. (laughs) I think it's just my Shane and Andrew impression. Oh, God. (laughs) So Lucy and Amelia find a grumpy turban man and leave him fifth, the highest that they will ever leave a task in this season, with Kim and Donna in sixth, and as I said, Amelia winters at the wood poo. 
And then we get the Detour Farms introduction, when Sam steps in a pile of shit. It's like being on Shroot Farms. Everyone's utterly disgusted by the farm that they have to do this detour at. <laughs> well, even the locals refuse to high-five or hug anybody after they finish the detour. They said, whoa, whoa, we find this disgusting too. Come on now. We don't, want, we, we don't need your uh, cultural assumptions here. Adam and Dane leave in seventh, with James and Sarah in eighth. Ross gets into a rhythm with the milking and then switches over with Taryn. And he gives her advice, but she can get easily frustrated when things don't happen immediately. Did anyone else cringe at Sue's description as to how to milk a cow? No, the whole scene was just cringy. It's just everything. Her technique. Warm her hands up and rub the head. Warm her hands up and rub the head. That's what she said. There's your grab, Michael. <laughs> oh, thank you for saying it twice. That'll give me a nice clean one. And Michelle knows exactly what I was thinking there. Oh, but gosh. I have heard warm your hands up before when you're milking a cow, because as Sue says, they are much more receptive to warm hands. Yeah, but then they had to add in the full-on audio of Sue rubbing her hands together, and it sounded moist. Think about it this way, Saunders. If someone was going to touch your nipples, would you want them to have warm hands? <laughs> this isn't going anywhere good. <laughs> Stop now. <laughs> so Joseph then finds a good sermon, but Grace ignores him and unwraps another one, and they leave in ninth. I felt bad for the guy because Joseph just gets impatient and just just yanks the turban off the guy's head. Um, did you see, I don't know whether you've still got Lucy and Amelia there, I don't think you do, but there was one of them they were trying to wrap back up again and the guy was grinning from ear to ear. He looked like immensely happy that these women were just playing with his scalp. I'm going to say with, that. With his head, Michelle. Is yeah, no scalp. With his head. <laughs> like, oh, my God. He was so happy. I just, I was grinning at that. It was so funny. I hear Sue's technique is to, you got to warm up your hands before unwrapping a turban <laughs> and rub the head. So Joseph and Grace leaving means that Michelle and Joe and Paul and Steve are the only ones left, setting up a wonderful editing joke of a little bit of rivalry. And Paul's saying that they'll definitely be trying to get an advantage over the twins at any point they can. And the twins leave in 10th and aren't big fans of the Alphas. It's funny to note just how much Michelle and Joe and Paul and Steve jump back and forth between being at the very top of the leaderboard and the very and at the very bottom in these first two legs. Well, it's, it's something I've noticed with going back to the, uh, the confessional Michelle was talking about where Paul says that he's the the intellectual powerhouse. What the editors do every time Paul does one of those confessionals is then follow it up immediately by someone just completely discrediting him. So he says he's the intellectual powerhouse, but he uses Steve as a social disguise. And then you immediately go to Michelle and Joe, literally the next confessional going, no, those guys are assholes. We hate them. And they do it again, especially with Kim and Donna coming yeah, out of this episode. They do it a couple of times with Paul saying something stupid and then Kim and Donna are immediately going, ah, oh, but he's a buffet. Yeah. yeah. Well, they really have to set up the major storylines for episodes four and five, or five and six. Uh, Sticky and Sam's cow starts getting a bit agitated after Sam fills up the first line and both they and Ross and Taryn lose a bit of milk during the changeover. And the reason that I want to point that out is because the ad break cliffhanger of all the milk going everywhere when Sticky 
um, puts it down is exactly the same scene as that. They have a different one, and it cuts immediately to the exact same one we saw five minutes beforehand when uh, Sam loses milk. I wondered that. It just looked really similar. It's exactly the same, because oh, I went back and double-checked this. It's a uh, it's a continuity error. What, Australian reality TV with continuity errors? I know. It's weird, isn't it? And even Sarah is wearing her proper trainers for the detail challenge. You know that this task is very serious if even Sarah changes into runners. You know that someone took her aside and said, please don't wear open-toed shoes in an Indian <laughs> farm. For the love of God. Donna is apparently a little bit of a country girl. She's pulled a teat in her time. And Lucy loses her voice and is presuming there aren't any gloves. She is correct in that assumption. And she says that she's choosing to go to her happy place and it's like making pasta dough with poo and hay. I laughed so much. And poo and hay, coincidentally, are Sticky and Sam's new nicknames. Oh, God. Sarah also can't think of the word for udder, so says boob, because she has boobs on her mind. And Paul and Steve finally leave in last. Bad, just bad luck there. You can't, even if you're an intellectual powerhouse and you can bench press the Sydney Harbour Bridge, yeah, you can't change bad luck with choosing which turbines to unwrap and rewrap. And because of his arm, Sticky has to put the bowl on the ground, and the cow then immediately stamps on it. They decide to change detours as it's the first time in 12 years that Sticky hasn't been able to do something. It's also a continuity error, as I said. The stamp that we see pre ads is not the stamp that we see after ads but the one we saw with the first changeover issue. It's funny that it just gets hyped up repeatedly. Oh, every every episode. Sticky can do anything I can do. Sticky can do anything. Nothing, nothing stops him. And the one thing that stops him is milking a cow and have it pour into a bowl. And that's the one thing. That's the one thing in life he gets to miss out on. Well, he, he has an inherent disadvantage because he only has one warm hand. He tries to copy Sue's technique. Oh, that would have been ridiculous television. Well, I guess what he could have done is have Sam put use one of Sam's hands to warm up against Dickie's hand, but even they, they weren't willing to uh, cross that line. Thought, no, we can't have that shown on TV. And talking of warm hands, Sue and Teresa are the first to leave the detour as they leave Pull. And teams has now head to Delhi's Old Fort and perform a Bollywood dance routine and a Hindi script, not Hindu teams, to the satisfaction of the director to get their next clue. And when they switch the detours, the competitive side of Sticky and Sam kicks in as they compete against physical powerhouses Lucy and Amelia to make dumb cakes. And eventually Paul and Steve are over there, so they had to go against the most physically dominating powerhouses and the most intellectually dominant powerhouse that Australia has ever seen. <laughs> yeah, for all the for all the buffhead comments that Paul makes about, oh, yeah, we're going to compete against these guys, we can easily beat them. That one from Sticky and Sam is underrated, I would say. People forget that Sticky and Sam also say something very similar about Lucy and Amelia. Obviously, probably in a less offensive way than than Paul meant it. Because at this point, I don't think that Lucy and Amelia are necessarily as close with Paul as they were by the end of the season. Yeah. Um, did you um, notice that when, uh, just before 
Sam and Sticky left, Sam was trying to get Sticky to, you know, get this cow going and he said, he'll feel if you're nervous. I'm like, hang on. Did he just say he? <laughs> what? Sam is having a really rough leg. He's, he's been accosted <laughs> at some traffic lights and now he's revealing that the only animal he seems to have milked might have been a bull. <laughs> And I'm pretty sure there are some specialist websites that he could have put those videos on. Jeez. So Ross and Taryn then leave Paul in second, and as Michelle squats to Paul, the cow decides to piss. That's a no for me, dog. Kim and Donna then leave Paul in third. Shane and Andrew at this point are still lost, and Paul and Steve's tuk-tuk then catches up to them. When they try and get their driver to follow Paul and Steve, But Paul says no, fuck that, and immediately makes sure they drive off. Then Paul and Steve, when they arrive, say that they were confident that they weren't going to get beaten by Sticky and Sam and Lumelia, as they're physically weaker, so they change detours to poo immediately. It's not a bad strategy. No. I mean, you could have phrased it a little bit better. But it's not a bad strategy, in theory. And James and Sarah then leave Paul in fourth, with Adam and Dane in fifth. And which detail would you have picked, out of interest? I wonder if I would have been confident enough with thinking I could milk a cow. I think the detail rule is always, don't do things with animals unless you absolutely have to. Yeah, Yeah. I'm sinking my head, leaning towards, yeah, I I probably would have. No, I think I would have done pull. I would have done pull. Who's like, no, it's too much. Unless you are super confident and know how to warm your hands up to make the others work, I think you probably just go for the one that you're in at least a little bit more control of, which would be poop. Rooting around in animal shit piles may be disgusting, but teams who are confident can get ahead. To quote Phil Kogan. Ugh. And we're on the scene where Adam and Dane screw up with their tuk tuk ride, right? Where they paid eight hundred rupees. I thought it was right after Paul's Paul's confession about being physically stronger. It is. There's one more thing I want to point out because. I'm surprised that they kept this in the episode, when Sue and Teresa say, as Bollywood dancers, we make great hairdressers. And I think they probably meant it the other way around. Yeah. As great hairdressers, we would be great Bollywood dancers. No, still doesn't really make all that much sense. No. Yeah, it's, it's right after they're talking about having their hair and makeup done, but I went back and double-checked that the phrasing was correct on this. They said, as Bollywood dancers, we make great hairdressers. And then, yeah, as you said, Adam and Dane spend all their money on taxis, so they hope they won't have to do any more. What did they spend in equivalents? I'd like, I'd like to know. I think that was eighty dollars. They said eight hundred rupees. Yeah, it was eight hundred rupees. They said. Let's see, eight hundred rupees to Aussie dollars, fourteen forty-five in Australian dollars. Oh, that's a lot. And thirteen twenty-five, and yes, yeah. So they got ripped off big time, and I don't. I'm not surprised that Adam and Dane didn't catch on that they were being really ripped off until afterwards. And now we have to discuss Ross trying to dance. (laughs) And to a lesser extent, Taryn. In fact, Shane and Andrew also had an awful, awful, awful time with dancing too. They were not exonerated from this. Is this the most leniently judged dancing task in Amazing Grace history? I think so. Sue and Teresa were pretty terrible as well. They were not in sync in the slightest. And yet again for the second leg on the trot, they had some very generous judging to pass them on that dance bit. 
Yeah, I wrote that in my notes too, thinking, yeah, everyone's get. We saw one, maybe two dancing rejections, and we're not even sure because of the jumps, because of the rushed editing, if those rejections weren't until after they tried the dialogue. And multiple teams in their confessional said that they are being judged based on the dialogue rather than the dancing. Yeah. It did make me laugh that Shane and Andrew were so terrible they couldn't even pass them for the dancing, though. Yeah, they, I think they got the the only one that was very clearly failed for the dancing was their first attempt. But they that was, I don't even, I don't think that was even dancing. That was just uh, it was just movement. It wasn't even dancing. Two <laughs> movement, <laughs> yeah. general bodily movement uh, without any awareness of rhythm or music or dance. It legally cannot be classified as dancing. It's like how Pringles can't legally be classified as potato chips. And the other hilarious uh, Ross and Taryn moment is him correcting Taryn on the word pronunciation. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Like, you know, this task isn't going to go so well for you, Taryn. If you can't correctly say the word pronunciation, that's not going to not going to bode well. James and Sarah have a really slow tuk-tuk, so get out and then argue in the street again over the decision to leave. Maybe the driver didn't have a Coke in there for her. Amelia tells Paul and Steve about it needing to be poo on the bottom of the bricks, and they wrestle through as a result and leave in seventh, with Lucy and Amelia in eighth, and Michelle and Joe leaving Paul in ninth. Joseph and Grace then leave Paul in tenth, leaving Shane and Andrew behind in last place. Talking of terrible dancing, Adam and Dane are just as bad, but don't even make it to the stage. And Sue and Teresa then get the aura spray out and begin praying for a miracle. <laughs> Hindu speaking power up spray. It's like Adam West's 60s Batman. What else do they have in their arsenal? Crystals. They've probably got a bag full of crystals. I don't think they could get that through customs. Yeah, that would have got confiscated. 100%. Mysterious spray and crystals. They're not travelling with those. You gotta pick one or the other, ladies. <laughs> and Sticky and Sam say that they did the nutbush at high school, but were surprised by their Bollywood dancing skills and are the first team to leave. Are you aware of the nutbush slogan? Of the what? Exactly. What? Logan must know about the nutbush. I know what the nutbush is. Uh, Logan. Do not... Jesus Christ, how is that even possible? It is a uniquely Australian thing, Michelle, but I obviously have a lot of Australian friends, so I know what the numbers is. But it's Tina Turner. It is. How can he not know? <laughs> oh my God. I thought so I heard Sticky and Sam reference the Macarena. Okay. You need to Google. Not Jeez. now, because we've got a podcast to record. But... <laughs> not now. <laughs> After the episode, Google Nutbush and make sure safe search is on. Oh. Not was it? Not bush. Not bush. Tina Turner. Yes, but you need to see the dance routine yeah. for it. <laughs> it's a uniquely Australian thing at, at high school. So teams must now head to the Kutubinar, the pit stop for this leg of the race. The last team to check in may be eliminated. But first, there was an unaired roadblock, as Logan exclusively broke the news when uh, he spoke to Shane and Andrew a couple of years ago. One team member must head to Kauri Bali Spice Market and find a mart store where they had to load chilli peppers into a bag until it reached a specific weight before loading it onto a cart to receive their clue for the pit stop. Mm. And there is a spectacularly bad audio edit on one of the departures in this uh, in this challenge. 
which proved there was an on-air roadblock, even if we didn't know what it was. So hang on. So when they opened that clue, they weren't actually at the Bollywood Challenge. They were actually at the, the, the Spice Market. No, if you look very closely, you'll never actually see anyone rip and read the clue that says, go to really? uh, Kutub Minar. Yeah. It just zooms in on the clue itself. Because wow. there was the unaired roadblock at the Spice Market before the pit stop. It was huh? after after the Bollywood Dance Challenge, but before the pit stop. Because that's how Shane and Andrew make up a couple of places. Interesting. So for this season, I thought a little game we could play is... Would you replace the aired task, any of the aired tasks, with the unaired task? So would you want any of these tasks to be replaced by the Spice Market roadblock? No, definitely not. I would say no in this in this leg, actually, yeah. Because what's, what's going to be interesting about people hauling chili yeah. peppers? They're not cutting them up, so nobody's going to... And they're not eating them. Yeah, yeah, nobody's going to have any problem with it because they're not cutting them up or anything or making anything with them. However, what I will say is it would have been much more entertaining if they'd put this roadblock before the detour. Because if teams have to deal with chilli peppers and then have to try and milk cows, those cows would not be happy to have their oh, teeth touched. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, Peter would not be impressed. That would have made the detour even funnier. I wonder what Sue's technique would have been then. She would have used the aura spray... On the teats. <laughs> the Hattons would have been already very hot, wouldn't they, if she'd done that roadblock, so... Too hot to handle. So Sue and Teresa then leave in second, and immediately overtake Sticky and Sam when leaving the fort. And Michelle and Joe obviously get into the dance portion of the challenge, and go from seven to three. The judge then takes pity on Ross and Taryn and lets them through the dance, but Adam and Dane are the ones who leave in fourth, with Kim and Donna in fifth, and Ross and Taryn in sixth. And then we get Sticky and Sam being very resourceful and finding a shortcut to get into Kutub Minar by saying that they're students at the University of Tasmania. They then check in first and win a trip for two, not from Travelocity, to the Japan MotoGP worth $10,000 and an unaired express pass. Interesting. I wonder why they didn't air it. Well, we will get to that later in the season, but this unaired express pass causes Sticky and Sam more trouble than anything else this season. Yeah, a lot of trouble. (laughs) Without saying too much, this is entirely the reason why Sticky and Sam get into a spot of bother later in the season. Okay. Yeah, it's one of the big, probably the biggest mystery of the season is why this critical Sticky and Sam content goes completely unaired. Yeah, it's bonkers to me, and I mean, there there is one episode you know I'm going to moan about, which is obviously the, the full turkey leg. But also, I am not a huge fan of the full Cuba leg either. Well, because there's no context for it. <laughs> there is so much cut out from the Cuba portion of this season that the story just becomes way too incoherent for me. Yeah, because even with these two India episodes, we get some really bizarre, oh, how the hell did they jump from 10th to 4th? Especially with the this episode at Shane and Andrew where they suddenly leap up in the standings and it's not until I, I interview them that we find out, oh yeah, because we did really well at the roadblock, so that's why we jumped up a few places. And the reason why they were last to the, because they were last to the Bollywood task, I believe, and that was because they got screwed over by another taxi driver or by another tuk-tuk driver, and that also went unaired, I think. 
And the other thing that nobody mentioned about this pit stop is the fact that there's a literal brass band on the way in that nobody even mentions. The greeter is a drummer, but you can see the brass band when pretty much everyone runs through the gate. Mm. And something you mentioned on your blog, which I actually have an answer to, Logan, is you said something like Kutub Minar is usually far busier than this. And the answer is because they stop people going anywhere near the pit stop. Oh, they actually did just keep people out so teams could get in, have a clean way in. So yeah, well, there it's always tons and tons of tour groups there. Actually, when Gia and I went through there with their with their Wells Fargo groups, every I don't know, I'd say about once every four or five minutes, they wanted to stop and take a selfie. And I really wanted to explore the area and got really frustrated to the point that GN knew I was getting frustrated with how often we were the, they want to do group pictures and get everyone organized together. Gosh. So GN and I just walked around Kutub Minar just by ourselves. And the tour guide's like, oh, you're just going to wander off from us? And then we said, uh, uh, yeah, this is, we don't need to stop for 40 pictures of the whole group since this will probably be the only time we're ever here. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, so this leg was heavily spoiled is the wrong term. Someone did a blog, they're in Delhi, and on their last day they went to Kutamina and accidentally stumbled upon the pit stop. They were told that they had to then stay back, but they then spoiled pretty much everything in this leg for RFF. Kind of. So they spoiled the fact that there was the brass band and everything and people running in. But Sue and Teresa were spoiled as the winners of this leg, and RFF still, to this day, and I checked earlier today, have Sue and Teresa as the rumoured winners for this leg. Really? Yep. And they also said that a male-female couple were the last team to check in and were eliminated. With a picture of Adam and Dane. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Interesting. So why do they think that's, why is there a conspiracy that Sue and Teresa won the leg just because that one person said so? Yeah, because they they were the first team that this woman saw checking into the pit stop. Completely, obviously, missing Ross and Taryn less than a minute behind them. Very, very interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah, out of interest, I had a look at what RFF knew about this this season, and the answer is really not a lot. It's one of the least spoiled seasons I have seen of Amazing Race ever, in terms of actual accurate spoilers. Well, they went to some fairly remote areas throughout the season, too, and then Cuba's not exactly the easiest place to find people who would post stuff onto RFF, or not even an easy place to just immediately upload something on there, since Wi-Fi is so horrendous there. They actually thought that the two bits of the, uh, the Philippines leg were two different legs. By today's standards, it for sure would be. <laughs> yeah. They would never take two days to film a leg anymore. Um, can I go back to the Bollywood acting and Lucy and Amelia? The, the accent, right? There was at one point I thought, do you guys watch Game of Thrones? If you have, they sounded like Khaleesi. They sounded like Amelia Clark, And I'm like, oh, my God, it's a scene from Game of Thrones. <laughs> What are those? What are those guys from Game of Thrones? The, um, that chasing the moat that Aquaman played. Yeah. Um, Does um, the, the, she thought they were speaking Dothraki instead yeah. of Hindi? <laughs> it was just really weird. <laughs> if you ask Sue and Teresa, is that actually Dothraku? Dothraku. <laughs> oh, and then we get another 
case of, wow, Adam and Dane, not very worldly. This is even before they are... Oh no, this is when they're selling their stuff. I guess to set this up. Adam and Dane run out of money. Ross and Taryn, Adam and Dane go to a train station, right? Yeah, so Ross and Taryn offer to buy the train ticket for Adam and Dane because they're nice people, but they don't have enough money to pay for two rickshaws. Yeah, because the train wasn't going to go directly to Kutub Manar, and I can't recall any train tracks even being remotely close there. It was the wrong train station that they were at. Yeah, so then they couldn't yeah, couldn't pay for Adam and Dane's uh, transportation to the pit stop. So then Adam and Dane, because clearly their recruits think it's perfectly fine to sell their own possessions, which has been outlawed since season 13. Yep of Amazing Race, of the American version. And they said, yeah, we. I sold my one pair of shoes. I sold the $150 shoes for 200 rupiah. And I'm thinking, rupiah is the currency of Indonesia. <laughs> the correct answer we're looking for is rupee. Rupee. And also that is roughly, I think it was $4.16 you worked it out as. <laughs> yeah. Bad deal on their part. Yeah, two two dumb things they did right then and there. Yeah. So Michelle and Joe checking in second, and as you said, the boys do offer their personal items in exchange for rupees. They're not sure if they're allowed to do this, but desperate times call for desperate measures, and they might just get away with it if no producers are watching on the other side of the camera, and no camera crew is going to film them, and no producer that is embedded with them is going to tell Grant Bowler that he's <laughs> going to have to give them a 30-minute penalty as soon as they check in. If none of those things happen, they'll be fine. They, but they say that in confessional. They didn't say that while they were selling the shoes, right? That they were worried about being penalized. No, I think they did. I think Dane did say at one point, oh, I'm not sure if we'll get a penalty for this actually on actually outside of confessional. I think. Okay, I, think they I don't know if that was them just backtracking saying, oh, yeah, we didn't know about that rule. We knew we were taking a chance. Yeah, so it's. I, I think. Yeah, so I think there's one in confessional. There's one out of confessional, and then there's the, oh, we didn't know that was a rule, when Grant gives them a 30-minute penalty. Well, they did look really shocked. Yeah. Because they went from celebrating to, oh, oh, we couldn't do that? So Lucy and Amelia, after faking it till they're making it, leave in seventh, with Paul and Steve leaving in eighth, but not before Paul flexes and ripples to the music. Sue and Teresa then checking in third, with Ross and Taryn in fourth. And even though they are super late in the running order, Shane and Andrew still can't dance enough to get approved. Yeah, what happened to the whole general rule that alumni say that uh, if you're that if you're last at a dancing challenge, they tend to be a lot more lenient. And this dancing challenge was already lenient. Yeah. And then the reputation that Grace has comes back to bite her. When basically all of the rumours about Grace was that she was a little bit stuck up, a little bit of a princess, all that sort of stuff. We get it in the confessionals with Joseph basically saying that she's a fucking nightmare. And then as soon as they get approved and leave in ninth, she collapses to the floor in celebration. She did it really well, though. She she was so melodramatic. And did you see the sound? I think the sound guy in the background was laughing his head off, thinking it was fantastic. He would have been our banner if they hadn't subtitled over him looking at the camera. <laughs> yeah. 
And then Joseph hugs the director, and I don't think the director wanted to be hugged whatsoever. In fact, the director was brutally honest about when he rejected the team, saying, "Guys, that was that was really bad. You have to do it again. You really, you really sucked at it." I can't even mince my words. That was awful. Yeah, there's no way. You may as well just take the penalty now. <laughs> So Lisa and Amelia then struggle with directions and they have a wonderful confessional where they describe just how people stare at them in the street. And not even respond. We are used to all-female teams on The Amazing Race going to India being stared at, but not necessarily in this way. I don't think they've ever encountered a team like Lisa and Amelia in in an India like before. (laughs) Well, even going all the way back to the very first season of Amazing Race where you had Nancy and Emily being unable to buy their own tickets. Hmm. So it's never, yeah, it's, it's never been a, it's never been smooth sailing for all female teams in India. And there is a terrible bit of editing when James and Sarah leave after three attempts. They leave in tenth, and Sarah reads the clue, and we hear her say it when she says, "Make your way to the re pit stop." <laughs> yeah. It's terribly cut. Like, even if we didn't know that there was a cut roadblock here, there is obviously a route marker that they had to go to here to get the roadblock clue, and then it'll be it'll have been somewhere near the spice market. But they cannot edit around Sarah saying, make your way to the re. So they just kind of leave it in and hope nobody's going to notice it. And I'm afraid, 11 years later, I noticed it. Sorry, guys, you didn't get it past <laughs> us. And then Shane and Andrew finally leave in last. Oh, when Joseph and Grace, when they hire their tuk-tuk, the tuk-tuk driver blatantly checks out Grace as she gets into the tuk-tuk. Or the rickshaw driver. uh, I don't know which one it is. Do you know the worst thing about them having to get that rickshaw? It's 30 kilometres to Kutabuna from the old fort, apparently. Jeez. That is a long-ass rickshaw ride. It is. It's not a comfortable one for anybody. No, especially for the, the... bike rider himself that's not going to be comfortable for him in addition to their 300 kilometers in the jeepney mm. surprised uh, everyone didn't get uh, get ten thousand dollars worth of physio as their grant <laughs> as their prize for winning each leg of the race screw the honda japan moto gp i just want some physio <laughs> i mean the japan moto gp prize legitimately cool prize for amazing race especially because usually it's a a trip to a nice hotel, maybe if you're looking for the spa, maybe with breakfast thrown in if they're feeling really spicy. But here it's a trip to Japan, which is cool in and of itself. But then on top of that, you get to go to the MotoGP as a VIP. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Something I heard the reality guys say in their podcast for the Amazing Race 34 Iceland episode last, uh, I think they released their podcast a couple of days ago, is the first place team always gets four or five nights now with Expedia as their prize. And they think it's a really sneaky thing for Expedia to do because there's no way that a team is only going to book four or five nights in these major cities. They're obviously going to pay out of their own pocket for six or seven nights instead, and then Expedia gets to profit from that prize. But on top of that as well, as we well know, in America, you have to then pay tax on your prize. So you get these... Expedia points, and I'm not sure if they're counted as cash, which may be why they give them as Expedia points rather than the actual trip themselves. But 
I think they probably still have to pay the tax on the value of whatever the Expedia points are worth. You think? Or you think they're trying to get around it for them? I think that loophole would have been closed very quickly if it was one, to be honest. So sad. I don't... It, it just America's totally crap. Yeah, America's so over the top with those tax rules for prize winnings. Because if you win a quiz show in the UK or in Australia or Canada, you don't pay any tax on it. I'm not sure about Canada, but I, th- I think Canada's the same with that rule. No, we don't know because when Howie Mandel hosted Deal or No Deal Canada, they had the $1 million uh, briefcase there. And then Howie Mandel said, yes, and it's $1 million tax-free. But the UK is exactly the same. You only pay tax on the on any interest you make on your winnings if it falls in the income tax thresholds. And Australia's exactly the same with, uh, with non-taxable winnings, I think, mm, as well. Yeah. But... Um, I think that may potentially be why they're doing Expedia points rather than the trips now, because teams have probably complained for far too long about having to then pay tax on it. And if you're Justin and Diana and won like five trips, that's a lot of money you've then got to spend just to be able to take the prizes you won. Yeah, he complained a lot about that. Because then you've just got to find money to be able to go on the trip. You can't just go on the trip. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. Especially when second place gets $25,000. Not tax-free. Split between two people. So Paul and Steve checking in fifth, with Kim and Donna in sixth. Adam and Dane arrive in seventh, but Grant cannot check them in. They were awarded a 30-minute time penalty for selling personal possessions in clear breach of race conditions. Are we going to go over the Paul and Steve and Kim and Donna mystery right now? Yeah, we can do. Or do you want to save it for next episode when there's a lot more uh, Paul and Steve and Kim and Donna content? Eh, I may as, well, may as well get out of the way now while I remember it. But next leg, for some reason, they swap they swap the placements for when they depart. They do. So I guess you could say that Kim and Donna were really fifth and Paul and Steve finished this leg in sixth. There are actually two swaps next episode. Why? We don't know. Do you think that a 30-minute penalty was fair for selling your personal possessions? Yes. It's a logical and consistent penalty to have. What do you think it should be, Michael? Well, I think Mark and Michael got 30 minutes for each item they sold, so they got about two hours in total. I think it was quite generous for Adam and Dane to only get a flat 30 minutes here, because they sold a few items. Hmm. I wonder it's also because they made not that much money off of it. Potentially, yeah. So the actual seventh team to check in is Shane and Andrew with 20 minutes left on Adam and Dane's penalty. Joseph and Grace checking in eighth. James and Sarah checking in ninth. And with three minutes left on the penalty clock, will it be the most forgettable team of the season, Adam and Dane, to check in? Or literal icons, Lucy and Amelia? The answer is, of course, Lucy and Amelia checking in tenth. Much to their own surprise, with Adam and Dana in the background. And Adam and Dana then brought to the mat and eliminated and already forgotten. Like how was it? I think it was Amelia who said, this is a massive achievement. Coming in 10th is like coming in first place for most teams. (laughs) The passive-aggressive check-in confessional from Grant Bowler to Adam and Dana as well is just delightful. He specifically says, you did really well on the last leg when they checked in in ninth. And when they were almost first, he doesn't mention anything about their traumatic experience over the past two days when they get eliminated and are the first team to get eliminated and never 
heard from or cared about again. Yeah, Grant says, I think you should be really proud of yourselves for what you've achieved in the last leg. So I can't tell if he's being equally sarcastic about this round or the first round. It's so passive-aggressive, it's delightful. Do you want to eulogize Adam and Dane? Do we care enough? I tr- I try to look for any scenes I missed with Adam and Dane in these first in these two episodes. It's just that they did have a, I mean they both epi- both episodes. They do have major things happen to them. One, they had it where they were about to get first, and their boat their raft came apart less than a hundred meters away from Grant. That could have been made into a big moment, but it wasn't. Yeah. You tend to you forget about it after the premiere is over. Even though they were this close it was this close to being a huge blunder. This leg, they make one of the more extreme mistakes that we're going to see in this season. And they don't have a big enough reaction to it. That this also gets I think a lot of people would forget that they got the thirty minute penalty here for selling their shoes. When it could have been, oh, a team that was in third or fourth place almost the whole round falls all the way down to 11th because of it and barely lose out to Lucy and Amelia. It could have been turned into a bigger storyline, but they just, they just don't have big enough personalities where anyone really remembered it. I think any team would pale in comparison to the final 10 of this season. I've made the argument, and I know I mentioned it last episode as well, that any of the final 10 teams of this season you could absolutely make a convincing argument to return for a future season. Not that we ever advocate that in any show ever, because All-Stars suck. But you could make a decent argument for the final ten of this season being amazing characters, A-plus characters, however you want to phrase it, and the sort of teams that they should consider bringing back rather than filling the cast with people who you don't care about. And it not that amazing that the ten, just ten... Nearly the whole cast. I think you never get that, ever. So many personalities and so many good teams. You never get that many in one season. No, it's absolutely lightning in a bottle, the casting of this season, and hats off to whoever did cast this season, because it was amazing. The problem is Adam and Dane are the non-Final Ten team. They are the team that is sticking out like a sore thumb, and for whatever reason they got cast, not to rehash last episode. They had never seen the race before. They were obviously not as experienced travellers, no matter what they said in confessionals. It is not a huge loss to the season to see them go. Every elimination after this one, apart from maybe one of them, is gut-wrenching as a result of them doing a stupid boneheaded move and getting themselves eliminated. here. And it's fitting that they were the first ones out. Yeah. Usually what happens is, if you have a largely great cast, the one team we might find to be a bit dull or doesn't quite fit in with the rest, they end up, for whatever reason, making it to the end of the season. Here, nope, they're first out. Yeah, they were absolutely the right choice to leave first. The editors handled them perfectly in that they gave all the airtime to the people who were interesting. There's one team that maybe by the time that they go, I'm not exactly heartbroken to see them go and maybe we'll be cheering their elimination at Final Four, but every single elimination from here on out is fairly gut-wrenching, I would say. You're sad to see every team go from this Final Ten. Yeah. 
So next time on a special night, because one thing I've not mentioned yet is the ridiculous scheduling of this season. There's a driving school drag race, all out pot warfare. Kim and Don are terrible people to cross. And the closest foot race ever sends another team home. That's a bit of a stretch. Yes, it is. <laughs> is there anything else you guys want to say about this episode? Oh, one thing. At the oh. end, when <laughs> when Adam and Dane were standing at the mat, or, or they were doing their confessional, um, one of them said, I haven't regretted a thing. Hmm. Maybe you should have regretted selling your things. Selling your $150 shoes. How can you say you haven't regretted a thing? The thing that you should be regretting is a thing that got you out of the race. Really? Anyway, that was it. <laughs> yeah, for the record, that is a classic Logan Saunders move of me going, is there anything else you want to talk about? And someone going, <laughs> no, no. And Logan just going, oh, one more thing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was down the bottom of the page in the corner and I'm like, mm, yeah. <laughs> what? A note about Adam and Dane was in the... Bottom in the corner of the page. Yeah. Like, all right, there's this thing with Adam and Dane. I'll just throw it in the smallest font in the corner. And if it comes up, it comes up. If not, who cares? It's the one note that Michelle made about Adam and Dane all season long. (laughs) She almost forgot. Well, God, yeah, it is. You know what? I think it is the only thing I've said about Adam and Dane. (laughs) So, anyway. So long, farewell. Who cares? (laughs) So, thank you for listening to our Amazing Race Australia recap. We'll be back next week to recap episode number three. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us and contact us at RTVWarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at LogsofQuacky, and Michelle is Beth3333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333